Oh, no, my eyes are turning bloodshot. I'm going on a trip. I look like I'm doped out of my gourd. Oh, God, I'm talking to myself. That's a side effect of the marijuana poisoning. I'm your host, Bree Rohde, and I set out to explore when the media creators you love peaked. I'm here today with my good internet friend, Mike Stevens. Mike, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Stevens. You might have heard of me, or somebody who's, who has the same name. Uh, there's a lot of us. <laughs> there, there are, and uh, there are a lot of you who are on Twitter, and I understand that, uh, you know, I mean, we, we know each other basically from tweeting about hobby. But we also know each other for being uh, fans of similar adults in creation. Faith of the Simpsons, but you are one of those uh, rare things that I appreciate seeing the Belgians in each side of Yeah, I, I, I was actually, like, you mentioned this podcast, and I was like, oh, man, whoever his best friend gets to do the Simpsons one, I'm jealous. I, like, I, I, would, I could talk for months and months about this, but yeah, I mean, Kim the Hill came out when I was Emily, and uh, you know, as a sort of short, stocky, blonde kid, maybe seeking <laughs> affirmations from his father, but having different tastes than his father. I don't know. No, you know, um, uh, I just like it because uh, I like Stephen Root and I like Dungeons. God, yes. Uh, and, and we'll get into our histories of the show. But first, a, a really important question that I've asked all of our guests is, um, when did you peak, Mike? So uh, I saw this question and this was a fantastic question. And um, because my wife is going to be listening, uh, I will give the the quickest answer, which is I probably peaked on the day of my wedding, uh, which was uh, September 22nd, 2018. Um, honey, I hope I got that right. Um, but uh, uh, no, that was I mean, like that was probably the day I looked the best. Um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, I don't wear suits that often. I, uh, uh, but I, I was, and and uh, we had a wonderful time. Um, you know, I think maybe in general, 2018 was a peak of the year for me across the board, uh, with sort of like a school and work and just doing a lot of fun things and having um, a fantastic you know, honeymoon in, in New Zealand was really cool. So that would be a peak of my life. That or maybe the time in like house league hockey when I was seven or eight and had like four goals and three assists in a game. Wedding day or that. One of the two. I am so glad, you know, you mentioned your wife is going to listen, which, yo, um, but I will also say it's a good thing that your son can't quite understand this yet because you did not say that the peak year was the year he was born. Right. So, okay. Well, I mean, he was conceived in 2018 to overshare. So, uh, um, um, but uh, see, I feel like that would have been too much of a cop-out. Like the the, the, the marriage answer is 100% a cop-out, but... Um, I would say, I would say more, more so, uh, uh, you know, my wife did a lot more of the work on, 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 uh, the production of Gabe and, uh, uh, you know, I think as well, uh, he would probably want, he would probably want something more for me than just like, oh, I was born. I didn't really do anything. You know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's very goal oriented and I, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I gotta say you have uh, a great kid. He is adorable and, uh. I, I really enjoy the kid content. I also have to say, I personally think you're peaking right now because 
you know, we've been a year into lockdown. I think you're looking real healthy. You seem to have a really healthy outlook. You're one of the only people on my Twitter not constantly having a meltdown. So I would say, from my perspective as your online buddy, you're peaking oh. right now, my friend. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, I, I think part of it is that I just try to, like, put all of my bad, dark thoughts into, you know, shit-talking either <laughs> the Maple Leafs goaltending or or uh, uh, making fun of, you know, dunking on, on, on the people on Twitter that, uh, that we don't like, anyone right-wing or anyone who's like, I don't know, the movie Drive is imperialist, and you're like, okay. Uh, yes. Uh, I am, I, like you, I am tired. Um, so now we, we're, uh, we're going to read back to our history with the show. Now I know we are a couple years apart. I think I was seven or eight when, uh, when King of the Hill premiered. Um, and for me, um, it was really just kind of sitting around watching the Simpsons. And then this cartoon came on right after that. And, um, you know, me being the young, um, blossoming bisexual that I was, I was like, well, I might as well stick around and wait for the X-Files to come on. And uh, I see this, oh, it's, it's another cartoon in a cartoon family. I will say that as a, you know, a primary school attendee, I was freaked out by how much more realistic the people were than The Simpsons. Even things like um, Hank and Bill's chubbiness was um, too real looking. Like that was kind of the way my dad was chubby. Um, and like the wrinkles in the faces and stuff was like, it, as a second grader or third grader, or whatever I was, it was frightening to me a little bit but i think it was around when i was 10 or 11 that i really got into uh king of the hill that was when it started being syndicated and playing on weeknights in between like the i think there were three to four episodes of simpsons on in syndication a night where i was living uh, including french simpsons and so king of the hill just got sandwiched between those and i just fell in love with it and i more than the simpsons i fell in love with the plots and the one-liners and stuff king of the hill i really fell in love with the characters oh absolutely oh absolutely i mean it, it is um such a character driven show and in, in preparing for this and i did probably far too much preparation but probably also in the wrong fields so but <laughs> one thing one thing that uh i really love about the show is you know it, so I guess there's a few points that I kind of want to hit on because you, you brought up so much great stuff. One of which is, yes, the animation style, which I said in one of the notes is not great. It's not it's not magical the way a Futurama or a Simpsons is magical. It is so realistic. Uh, but what you really do notice, especially on going through and either watching clips, I watched a few episodes uh, just for the fun, but um, it is shot like a live action sitcom. There are, there is shot reverse shot where you're seeing characters like it, it, it is, it is like the office in that way. Um, yeah. it is, it is, it is so slice of life. And I mean, I, I, I think that King of the Hill, one of its great strengths is that it shows both the beauty and profundity of the mundane. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and yet keeps it grounded and centered in this almost almost banal life but that just right under the surface is huge world building huge storytelling um and and you know i i absolutely adore it and same to you um yeah i watched it because i was only allowed so much tv time uh growing up uh before it was in syndication and uh, unlike you the x-files theme gave me nightmares as a kid oh no <laughs> um, even though i've now i have since watched it and i love it Oh, yeah. Um, but like at the time of, yeah, like that thing 
gave me heebie-jeebies. And like, that was like the run for the remote, turn it off at 9 p.m. Because I'm terrified. Oh. <laughs> um, I was, I was, especially as a, as, as, as a Wii one. And that show also came out well before. I think it came out in 91 yeah. or 92. Um, that theme just was like, that plus Aliens was just like, I don't know. But now I'm like, this show is just, it's, it's perfect pulp and fodder. Um, you know, speaking of just like our, our access to shows, both of us being Canadian, it's it's important to note that um, the, one of the great injustices of this world is that um, King of the Hill, uh, pretty much very difficult to stream in Canada. Um, and even transactionally, it's not, uh, to my knowledge, on iTunes. Um, I think the only one I haven't checked out is Crave because I'm pretty sure the only uh, the only streaming service that I haven't kind of tried out is Crave. Uh, it's it's not on Netflix. I really thought with this latest upgrade to Disney Plus, they put every other Fox adult animation series on mm-hmm. it except King of the Hill, uh, and uh, it, it was a blah for me. <laughs> yeah, I I totally use um, like an illegal streaming site that for, but I use that for all sorts of stuff. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, I'm sure this is going to get me in trouble, but uh, I think it's Watch Cartoon Online. Uh, the, the overall quality isn't great, but if you are, if you are looking to watch something from your childhood that you just cannot find anywhere else, you can find everything there. Well, I've only ever done things that are legal and I love the law, so. Oh, okay, good. Okay, <laughs> there, good. There's a, there's a law team on the way to your house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, it was time I got swatted anyway, you know? <laughs> No, uh, so it's it's great that you mentioned The Office because, I mean, we all know King of the Hill uh, created by Mike Judge, who mm-hmm. was the voice of Hank, and originally apparently did not want to voice Hank. He was uh, pretty much a deviation of his Mr. Anderson character from Beavis and Butthead, which I, I have to ask, actually, did you watch Beavis and Butthead as a kid? Yes, uh, for yeah, two reasons. <laughs> One was that my parents never monitored uh, what I did on my own terms or if I was over at a friend's house. And secondly, I have an older sister and okay. so she was like three or four, three and a half years older than me and would, would have been right in the wheelhouse for that when it was coming out. Yeah. And so, yes, I, I watched that. And that was actually something where I wanted to like King of the Hill right off the bat. Cause I'm like, Oh, same guy as being like the same thing as being <laughs> butthead. And it is nothing, nothing. No, like it. Not at all. I, I have, watched Beavis and Butthead. I did not watch it as a kid, which is weird because I, I have pretty much the exact same situation as you. Very poorly monitored consumption habits and older siblings. But the problem was I was the youngest sibling was the weird skid and my sister and brother were much more conventional. So it just like the, the interests never lined up. I also think I can't even remember what network we got Beavis and Butthead on when I was a kid because um, I just remember not being able to find it. So what I did watch, I watched as an adult, and I remember thinking, oh, I don't think this is for me anymore. I think I've passed the crucial time when this is for me, but I like Mike Judge's movies. Hmm. Oh, 100%. I mean, like, yeah. Office Space is, I've probably watched that movie 50 times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, in Idiocracy, I know a lot of people say, like, it hasn't aged great. And I, I mean, I would agree with that, but I also, a lot of things don't age great, and you can still acknowledge that they're really funny. Comedy so. tends to age like milk. Uh, oh yeah, because especially because and this is this is uh, uh, time for some theory. Um, yeah, but because of the nature of comedy as being so transgressive, right? Whether it is whether it is slipping on a banana peel or making fun of somebody's appearance, shape, gender, age, whatever, it's a transgression against another person. 
Yeah. And there is, if you really wanted to read up on this, we don't have to, listeners. Um, but uh, there is this theory that, that comedy is a way of being violent against somebody without actually committing violence against them. So due to the transgressive nature, it is pushing, uh, ideally comedy is sort of pushing the boundaries of what is acceptable conversation yep. or acceptable action in the time it was created. So, you know, if you look at Beavis and Butthead as an example, um, that might not be that, but they didn't really have that many targets that, in the same way, but, uh, uh, you know, Blazing Saddles would be the famous example. You can never make Blazing Saddles today. Um, but those were, but the topics at hand were what was just, a, just over the line of what you could say back then, which as we have, you know, increased visibility towards racialized people, towards different, you know, uh, LGBTQ people, all sorts of things. That, uh, basically, as we are making this attempt of treating humans like humans, which is a noble endeavor and is far too slow and is nowhere near as, as a linear or exponential progression as, as I think either of us might like. Yeah. Um, a lot of comedy really comes up short 10 years later. Like I put on Eddie Murphy raw and Eddie Murphy delirious for some friends before. And like, I watched this stuff when I was 12 and that was late nineties. And, 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 you know, that sort of edgelordy kind of style of humor of, of, of saying, you know, the F word or, or something like that yeah. was like, and I don't mean fuck. Um, and, oh, and yeah. Um, but where that was sort of more acceptable, I thought Raw and Delirious was hilarious. But then as I sort of grew as a person and, and realized, oh my God, I've been an asshole a lot forever. Um, you know, you, it, it just, it ages so poorly. And I remember putting on Raw or Delirious and, and, and for some friends and they're just like, this is, no, like, no, no this is. You see the jaws drop Eddie, Eddie Murphy is a monster, um, you know, whereas he was once considered the funniest he was like the blend of like the funniest slash most attractive slash most bankable actor in Hollywood for a while. And now that's obviously, it hasn't been the case in 25 years, but now. Yeah. And I find like retroactively Mike Judge gets this weird kind of, and, and like for what it's worth, Mike Judge politically is, you could say, more outwardly right than most, but not even right wing in like. Um, a Trumpian way, more right wing. Like, I know that he has gone on Alex Jones. I think before Alex Jones was super crazy, but just kind of for the lulls. And he has this like soft libertarianism. Um, and, and what I always found interesting was that he projected a lot of that onto Hank, but Hank wasn't always correct. Um, I, I do also think that a lot is owed to his, um, to his partner in this, which is Greg Daniels. And, you know, we mentioned The Office. Greg Daniels, uh, you know, famously developed The Office for US TV. He is amazing at that observational, uh, observational, very grounded in reality humor. And so that's why it, that's, I think, a huge part of why it wasn't Beavis and Butthead um, and why it wasn't, you know, something over the top like idiocracy. Um, I, I know that King of the Hill was actually, in many ways, a huge blow to The Simpsons mm -hmm. because them losing Greg Daniels from the writer's room. Like, I, I know that apparently a lot of early Millhouse was based on Greg Daniels. Um, including um, Bart Sells to the Soul, that concept came from Greg Daniels, who, as a school student, he was the one who convinced another child that he owned his soul. That's so I'm like, amazing. oh, a young sociopath. That's, yeah, yeah, I mean, like that, that's, a, that's a future cult leader right there. Um, oh, yes. Good, good. Well, he started the office, so yeah, cult leader. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, and I think, I think as well, um, uh, the... 
slice of life sort of style of King of the Hill really it, it, it it's so inoffensive that it actually kind of ages better than a lot of than a lot of other comedies we might look at. Uh, there are obviously some problematic themes and elements to it. Um, oh, yeah. As anything made, you know, 23, 24 years ago would have, um, you know, which is, which is unfortunate, but it, it, I actually think that I don't know what other shows that you're going to be, you know, putting on either past or present on this. Um, I would actually say that in a lot of ways, King of the Hill is, is capable of aging better than most. Yeah. When you look at, especially the early seasons, um, cause I, and I think in general, what I've found already through the three episodes I've recorded is first of all, there's a rule of thumb that almost everything peaks in the third, fourth season. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, um, no comedy should go past four seasons. Um, but, or, but, but with King of the Hill, even a lot of the themes are, are very progressive and not even progressive in, uh, this, like it didn't talk a lot about LGBTQ issues. It didn't talk a lot about race issues, but themes like, um, you know, Luann is not your blood family, but like you care about her or you don't have to say the words I love you to show that you love someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think those were really, really important and nice. There, there's also an element of King of the Hill's humor where like I will say that I can't identify with it because there's kind of two layers of it. There's layers that anyone who grew up in a small town or anyone who grew up in a class understands. And then there are comedy elements of you have to live in Texas to get this. And what I really like was how well they balanced that. Like the Texas stuff was not alienating, but it's a really nice bonus for people who understand Texas. And they, Mike, neither Mike Judge nor Greg Daniels are from Texas, but you did have a few actual Texans in the cast. Uh, Johnny Hardwick, who played Dale, notably was a Texan, a Texas-based comedian, and he did write some episodes. So um, they had a lot of those really great Texas and Southwest affectations that I'm, I, I just you sit back and like, this is probably a Texas thing. I think Judge. I think Judge grew up or spent a lot of time in New Mexico, which is where Peggy is originally from. Peggy is from uh, Montana. Is it Montana? Okay, there's something. I know there's something. Someone's got a, a New Mexico background, but there is a there is a Southwest flavor uh, to the show. That to your point, yes, is a bit of an Easter egg for you know great Midwestern and Southwestern peoples, but also I think what it does for you know good people Canadians. Um, uh, is, is that it, it does provide some of that world building in that you're like, okay, like, I don't really understand that completely, but you know, like the, the, the nature of the manicured lawns in the desert, that is something that, that I am sure. And that, that generally looks white picket fence, Beaver Cleaverville, you know, we're all, we're all good neighbors, but that is an actual like issue in Texas and an actual thing and an act, you know, and like the, 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 so much revolving around the lawn. Um, that is not just a Hank thing. That is a, a bit more of a Texan thing. That is a bit more of a, 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 you know, creating an oasis in the desert, which is basically what life is like in portions of the state. It's a giant yeah. state. I'm or how flat is. everything is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, the world building is a great uh, person to acknowledge, even though like, so, Mike Judge created the show. He voluntarily gave Greg Daniels the co-creator credit, which is, like, the kind of really nice thing. This is why, like, Mike Judge, I'll say politics aside, strikes me as a person with a good brain and a good heart. Um, Giving Greg Daniels the co-creator credit meant a lot more money for Greg Daniels, perhaps the expense of, like, less money for for Judge, because he's just, like, the show owes so much to you and the way you develop these characters. But another person that the show really owes a lot for, a lot to, and in animation in general, we do tend to recognize writers and showrunners and creators 
more than uh, directors, but uh, Wes Archer, who was uh, the longest serving supervising director on uh, on King of the Hill. He also came from The Simpsons, and he's now on Rick and Morty. Uh, and if you, he's a great follow on Instagram. If you follow him at Archeration, um, he not only just draws great shit, he's into model trains. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So there's a little bit of overlap with uh, with your <laughs> hubby. So yes, my my husband is a model train man. Uh, but Wes Archer, um, the, the detail that he put into King of the Hill, like, the aspects of that show were set from the start. Um, whereas, like, in The Simpsons, and they even very recently had a joke about this this season in which Mo said, well, there's still that, that house above, or that room above the garage in your house, and you don't know what that is. And kind of pointing out, like, what is The Simpsons' house, even? Mm-hmm. Um you know, how uh, the rumpus room sometimes exists and sometimes doesn't. The living room is sometimes next to the dining room and sometimes isn't. Um, you know, the layout of the Hills house was set from the start. The way the characters stand was uh, was from the start and, like, the way their eyes move. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very, very detailed intro album um, of the kind of original sets of character designs and character packs and so many things, even just, like, oh, the perspective when you're looking out the back of Hank's truck cannot be too high or too low. It has to look like you're out the back of the truck. So to your point, it's shot like a real TV show. Um, And so I I think, yeah, Wes Archer really gets a lot of credit because I've heard some people say like, oh, why didn't they just make this a live action show? There's no point to it being animated, to which I say you are joyless and shut up. Um, Well, and and I think the other thing is, is that, and this is true by and large, you can get away with so much more with animation than you can with live action, especially when you consider, um, you know, there are a fair number of risque elements to the show, like related to Bobby, even. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, Bobby just like in his tidy whiteies, yeah. like flapping his belly, yeah. singing. <laughs> and that is something that is something that is funnier that way. And I mean, another thing, and this is, this is, uh, I'm sure you could argue one way or the other on this, but especially with, you know, uh, children characters in television, it's usually a woman doing the voice acting of both yeah. boys and girls. And so, and of, you know, of, of, of all genders, I suppose now, but, um, there is that element where could you cast a perfect Bobby Hill I think you could probably cast a Hank Hill and a Peggy Hill pretty well, but it would be, I think it'd be much harder to cast a Bobby Hill and then have that character be, or have that actor still be viable five years later. Oh yeah. So, and, and for what it's worth, this is also a sign of perhaps why co- again, comedies and even animated comedies shouldn't continue forever. If you've watched any recent, like the last two years episodes of the Simpsons, you can even hear the age in Nancy Cartwright's mm-hmm. voice. Mm-hmm. and kind of sad especially because now that disney owns them you know that they'll just replace them at any point like i mean the, the, of course we, this ostensibly this is a king of the hill podcast um but I, I mean the simpsons you know you said that no no uh what no no animated comedy should run more than four seasons or no comedy should run more than four seasons they definitely peak at about four yeah uh, you know, I, I think you could argue that The Simpsons bucked that trend, but that trend then came back in vogue to about twenty years ago. Um, yeah. And 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 you could you could uh, you could you know. Um, and in fact, actually, uh, you know, to to try to bring this back more onto to King of the Hill, it really suffers after um, Daniels and and Judge leave onto new projects yeah. towards season seven. I think it is is when that it's comes in. Seven. And that's um, kind of, that's I guess when Daniels is doing The Office by that point. Yes, that that two thousand four that that times up. Um, um, yeah, 
we'll, we'll get to that soon, but I do want to stay on the voice topic too, because one thing that I loved about King of the Hill, and uh, I know we're going to get to our favorite topic of Stephen Root very soon, but is that they generally cast actors who were not really or not primarily voice actors. Um, you had a lot of comedians and a lot of character actors. Uh, Mike Judge, of course, doing Hank, as well as uh, Boomhauer. Uh, first name, Jeff, uh, we know, <laughs> Jeff Boomhauer. Uh, a Texas um, Ranger. Yes, <laughs> which when I first read that, I thought, I'm like a baseball player. And then I realized, oh, no, Boomhauer's a cop. Crap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, AB includes Boom Hour. Um, but, uh, and then you had Johnny Hardwick, a comedian who did Dale. Johnny Hardwick also, um, he did very few other voices, but he did often do the kind of uh, great, uh, announcer guy that was always at the racetrack. He did the fairy. Oh, I love, I love. And now Rusty Shackleford. Yeah, that, that, yes. that, that sort of twang bit. Yeah. Uh, sounds like he's calling a baseball game. You had Kathy and Jimmy as uh, Peggy Hill, uh, and she really just, like, I think, because uh, Peggy is a very, very polarizing character, but I do oh, think yeah. Kathy and Jimmy just brought so much soul to Peggy and so much uh, humanization to her. Um, you had Pamela Adlin, uh, who was Bobby Hill, and at um, a recent, I want to say two or three years ago, um, reunion slash um, uh, script reading, uh, table read. Mm-hmm. of Huffy Bobby. She did the she also did the voice for Brittany Murphy, who of course passed of course away, passed away. And, years ago. Very sad. And um, Brittany Murphy was fantastic in Oh god. I love Luann. Yeah. Lu Luann is such a great character who just like is was filled with so many nuances. And I think he said when things started to really take a turn in season seven, they took a lot of her growth away. But I did love that Luann just always had this kind of determination about her. Mm-hmm. Um and uh she was so like a dumb person with one of probably the strongest hearts and sense of resolve in the show. Um, and, and then it, you'd have uh, Breck and Meyer who came in and did Joseph post puberty, which like the great thing about the show being that it didn't, uh, it, it didn't really shy away from changing the canon. It aged up Joseph and never took him back down. You know, it broke up Connie and Bobby. Um, Toby Huss uh, did the voice of uh, one of my favorite characters, Cotton Hill. As well as Con Supernusenphone, which, you know, that even they've acknowledged that wouldn't fly today, not just because it's a white man doing an Asian man's voice, but because he is very much doing a voice. That uh, is probably, to go back to a little bit of earlier conversation, that is probably the worst aged aspect of the show okay. is is Con in general. Um, I mean, the, the Supernusenphone. He's a Tiger Dad stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, they do actually play that Tiger Dad stereotype beautifully in the season, in the series finale, uh, where he's yeah. like, "Let's not study, let's all enjoy barbecue." That 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 um, uh, again, we will eventually get to the peak of everything, but uh, very few shows have a better finale, I think, than King yeah. of the Hill. I think that's almost a, that is like a perfect storybook ending. You couldn't ask for more. Um, yeah, and you actually in that one moment you redeem thirteen seasons of Con being. Oh man, I do not. I do not like Khan. Um, yeah. uh, you're not supposed to like him, but I also don't like him, and I, yeah. I have more reasons to dislike him later on, obviously. I, I did like when the show occasionally like explored why Khan is the way he is, because there were certain things like the expectations placed on him, and even like he actually used the words like, you don't understand, I'm Asian, I'm not supposed to fail. And there were a few times when he's like, I need, like when they challenged the model minor- minority stereotype, there were just a lot of other times when the show did exactly the opposite of that, so it was uh, not well, a good look. 
And I think, I mean, so I, I could go into a weird theory of mine here, which is, um, so Colin and Hank are spelled, they're the same letters, just changed around, and they both represent different versions of the American dream. Um, uh-huh. uh, we could probably spend a whole hour unpacking that, but but uh, the upshot the upshot of this is Con is a is is a character that is you know he doesn't fit in to Arlen, Texas whatsoever. Uh-huh. He is in IT or or I believe it's IT or something regarding systems management. Yeah. yeah, so systems he, analyst. Yes, so he's not so he he's not a a, a hands on got a truck sort of you know that 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 very um sort of masculine stereotype that all of the other male characters in the show with i guess bill aside have yeah um he's a yuppie he is he absolutely is but he's also from california where he's or or i mean he's from laos but 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 many of his formative years are spent in california before moving to texas and and you know he has all of these he is he's high achieving he has high expectations he mirrors he mirrors Hank in a lot of ways, and and I do believe it's probably intentional. Uh, one thing: the older that you you get, and the more media you consume, there are few accidents. Um, Con and Hank having the same letters to their name and it being changed—that could be a small thing, but they do both represent ideals of what makes an American, what makes a successful father, what makes a good person, what makes a good or bad neighbor, and also they, you know, uh, uh, as a metaphor, they're so similar. If only the letters were in the same order, they'd get along so much better, right? It 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 really yeah. that element really comes through a lot. Um. So then, uh, and one other minor character, but I do feel a need to acknowledge him just because I'm not sure we could really have many opportunities to go into this actor. But Jonathan Joss, um, he only did one voice on the show, but he did the voice of John Redcorn. He actually wasn't originally. I think for maybe the first couple episodes, uh, John Redcorn was voiced by another actor mm-hmm. who's the he's since passed on though yeah. but jonathan joss um i i almost feel bad for the guy because it does feel like they they kind of bring him into every nbc sitcom anytime they need you know um a, a wise indigenous man um but he does play that stereotype very well like you probably know him uh from playing ken hotate in uh parks and recreation with mm-hmm. the fantastic line there are two things i know about white people they're terrified of curses and they love matchbox 20 um <laughs> But uh, yeah, John Redcorn is a fantastic character. Uh, they take him through such a journey because, again, the show never was afraid to break canon. So he's having an he's Joseph's biological father. He is having an affair with Nancy. They break them up and they stay broken up. And then you go on to explore like his depression and how he gets how he gets through the day and stuff. I, I love him and I love Jonathan Dawson's performance. Oh, he, he is he is great. And and there is obviously there is the difficulty of. Uh, sort of tokenism um and you know i'm sure if you really wanted to get deep into the weeds you could discuss maybe a little bit of uh this might word might be a bit jarring to hear on a podcast but a bit of the mandingo aspect of things of like he is no i mean like look look yeah okay look no judgment to anybody here john redcorn's pretty hot you know, like he's yes. he's jacked. He's tall. He's obviously a Lothario. He's good. With he wears hands. a good pair of jeans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he's like the only character that has an ass. Um, yes. um, <laughs> but so there are some problematic elements there. It is obviously better from a representation standpoint that they did use an indigenous actor in both yeah. cases uh, 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 for like to do the voice work on 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 his character and. I, I actually love this. This ties into something a little bit earlier and will also build into Papik. 
The whole reason why Dale trusts John Redcorn is because he thinks John Redcorn is gay. Yeah. And he has no problem. He has no problem. Dale Gribble is 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 a fantastic character. Oh, yeah. Um uh, uh again, I think he's very polarizing, like most of the characters on the show. You either do love him or hate him. But like Dale's like, yeah, no, I have no problem with homosexuality. In fact, there's the episode where uh with Dale's His dad, father is Bug, yeah. And Dale's whole problem is no, my dad's a government agent. <laughs> not, 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 not my dad is gay. Bug Gribble has spent like decades estranged from his son because he doesn't think his son could accept him. And his son can't accept him because he's a government agent, he thinks. Like, that is amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. That's just, that's just a very good joke. And it, and it also subverts the, it subverts the, the normal tropes that you would find in comedies. And I think especially if you look at what Friends is doing with Chandler's, you know, dad transitioning and everything. I'm not, I'm not a big fan, fan of Friends for various reasons, but you look at that today, you're like, holy shit, that is. Yeah horrifying like it, it 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 that is really really problematic and the hell doesn't have that problem no know? not at all it, it had a very apolitical stance on a lot of things and by apolitical i don't mean a, like cop out both sides are bad kind of thing it, it presented a lot of things as simply facts of life mm-hmm. which i thought was probably the safest and most enlightening way to do it um, so I, I, I've saved him for last because I think at the very least he's both of our favorite voice actors on the show, but my favorite character as well, Stephen Root as Bill. Um, I get so excited whenever I see Stephen Root in anything. And as a kid, I knew him from King of the Hill first. And then I saw Office Space. Um, and he was in, I think he's been in pretty much every Mike Judge project. Um, people would also know him from Get Out, um, if you're a Brooklyn Nine Nine fan, he's Boyle's dad. Like he's such he's, a good character actor. I uh, uh, in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the the Coen Brothers right. film. I yeah. when he when he shows up and he's like, and shot and all that. I'm like, what the? I was not. I was shocked. I love Stephen. He is he is absolutely uh, a, a joy to listen to. And I mean, and even things like news radio, uh, oh. which is which I, I I might be the only person. Uh, that loves that show, but I, I love that show. I I mean, I was eight years old when Phil Hartman died, and that was like the first major celebrity death that really affected me. And then I, I obviously wasn't watching news radio as an eight-year-old, but um, I went back and the second I could watch it on things like legally acquiring it online. Yes, I, um, oh, wow, this is a really amazing show. Even like Joe Rogan is actually kind of delightful on it. Mm-hmm. He, he, plays, yeah. he plays a dumb guy with wild opinions pretty well. Who'd have thought? Yeah. Who'd have thought? <laughs> um, but yeah, Bill is my favorite character. I love everything Stephen Root does with his voice, and even like Bill's backstory as he uh, relocated from Louisiana mm-hmm. as uh, as a kid. They're kind of inconsistent with when it is for a show that knows its own canon pretty well. Sometimes you see Bill there when they're little little kids. Sometimes not, but you do hear that um, Louisiana almost French tinge to his voice. But I love Bill. Um, <laughs> He's even though Dale is on paper the wackiest, they did the wacky some of the wackiest things with uh, Bill, especially in the later seasons. Um, you know, let's say after the season seven kind of cliff. But the, the Bill wackiness was always really fun, like him pretending to be gay so that he could get a chair at the hottest uh, hair salon. salon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, my one of my favorite episodes of the series is a Bill centric episode, and it was a real doozy of a. Uh, of 
uh, of an episode is Pretty Pretty Dresses from season three. Oh, I was going to mention this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Pretty Pretty Dresses is a heartbreaker. And again, this is something, this is a show that actually dealt with mental illness without making a big to do of we're talking about mental illness. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the way even like, uh, I mean, I've, I've used this as a meme, especially a lot in the last year. For some reason, something's gone on in the last year that's really kicked my depression into high gear. But the, so do you feel better? And Bill's just like, I don't feel anything. anything. And Hank's like, well, good. Um, it, King of the Hill is such a show about repression. And yes. like, again, I, and I don't think that is, like you said, I don't think that is an accident. Like there's so much about like male pride, male pride stuff, trauma repression, um, emotional repression in Hank. And you see it play out in Pretty Pretty Dresses in both like Bill, the extra emotional and Hank, the unemotional. And both of them trying really hard to come to this revelation. It's such a good episode. It is. And it, it, I, I mean, Bill is a character who's full of pathos. He yes. is He is the saddest. Well, I mean, maybe Dale's the saddest. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sad characters. Um, it's a show about repression. It is. But <laughs> Bill's, you know, obsession with Lenore, especially in the first Lenore. few seasons, is... You know, and I mean, I guess that that itself is uh, is a reference to. Uh, I'm guessing Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, Lenore yeah. is is the character in The Raven, right? I, I know that from yeah. The Simpsons only, so uh, 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 you know. But um, you know, Bill is this character where you needed someone who could provide both a dumb guy, mostly happy-go-lucky voice. But then also get to these like the cry. His crying is heartbreaking. It like it hurts to hear it. And and you know like I'm I'm I would like to believe I'm relatively well emotionally adjusted. But like there are moments where I don't even want to watch because I'm like Bill doesn't deserve this. Bill's a good guy. Like he's not. Yeah. He has problems and he needs help. And it's good that he has friends who love him. But you you know you it, he he's a character who will break your heart. And, yeah, and his, his there's there's an episode, and it is uh, in the latter half of the series, that for some reason a lot of people don't like it. It's called uh, Après Hank Le Deluge, which is when there's a flood and they're all uh, stationed in the gym and uh, of the school. And Bill kind of gets a little taste of power because everyone likes him, and then he just becomes an ass and, and starts stomping all over Hank. And a lot of people don't like it because it's like, oh, all my sympathy for Bill, you know, was gone. And I'm like, really? You've got, you know, at, throughout the series... 12 years of sympathy for Bill and everything terrible happening to him in one episode where he kind of acts like a jackass and it's it's all gone. Like, I, I don't know. I think King of the Hill, um, and I talked about this a lot in my Mouth in the Middle episode, but like characters, one of the things about that makes comedy good is relatability. And I think what kills a lot of, um, especially live action sitcoms, you know, it's why I fell off the train with Parks and Rec, it's why I fell off the Brooklyn Nine-Nine, is they try too hard to make characters more and more likable and because being relatable is not always being likable in fact being relatable is sometimes really unlikable that's also sometimes why like the office was really cringy and hard for people to watch because you're seeing yourself in like michael scott's worst qualities or whatever and so maybe it wasn't likable for bill to get that way but i just thought it was it was so much more real like our, our body bobby could be intensely unlikable at times but it was so like the the cries of a, a 
frankly kind of misunderstood and weird kid who sees the world completely differently from his parents. And so I I loved I loved when they made Bobby kind of an ass. Well, and and I think the other thing is everyone can have a bad day. Yeah. Um. In fact, I think the inciting incidents in a lot of episodes is someone has a bad day. And then that makes them run a scunner of, of of Hank in some way. I mean, usually, usually most episodes sort of follow that that kind of someone, either family, friend, neighbor, random passerby, enters Hank's life. There is discord, and 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 you know, especially with one off characters, you can just be like, ah, oh, well, that character's an asshole. Well, but that character also has. 30, 40 years of, of a life that led them to that moment, and they could have, you know, had their car broken into the day before. Everyone can have a bad character aspect, and especially with Bobby, more so Bobby than Bill. Um, and, I, like, teenagers? Tweens? Yeah. They suck. They, they are yeah. awful. Uh, you know, like, even, yeah. even the good ones. Even the good yeah. ones. You know, the high-achieving, nice, well-behaved, you know, dress-up-for-the-family-gatherings, you know, pre-pandemic. Um, uh, you know, even they will have days where, nah, nah. Yeah. you know, uh, 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 my parents would always give me shit because when I was 12, 13, I would use Homer's, mm-hmm. like, to answer questions all the time. And how was your day? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so my parents both do a pretty decent Homer... Uh, they don't really watch The Simpsons, but they do a pretty decent version of that because they mimicked me. There's that, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, so, I mean, there, there is that. And, and just to sort of tie a, a bow on Bill a little bit, of course, the military man during a crisis would actually have training and the ability to be useful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like that is why he is like that is why he goes on a bit of a power trip is that all of his life isn't building to this moment, but a lot of his background and sure as a barber, who cares? He still had to go through basic training. He still has to know all these things. He's actually proving useful in a time of crisis. And who wouldn't get an ego during a time? And especially a guy who he never wins. He never gets a win. So, you know, he's often a tool or often a, a victim. This is the first time he's, he's not a victim in the same way that everybody else is. And yeah, that is going to go to yeah. his head. And yeah, it's going to make him crappy. That episode is about a clearly very human experience. So yes. um, with, with talking about parenting, it's fantastic because I have to ask this. Um, I think every millennial I know who watches King of the Hill, which is, I'd say about 50% of people my age have watched King of the Hill. Um, and of those, about 50% of that group will say, my dad reminds me of Hank Hill or Hank Hill reminds me of my dad. And so I think like, is it just like every dad archetype built into Hank Hill? Cause I've said my whole life, even though my dad is an engineer and not involved in propane whatsoever. Um, but he has so many Hank Hill tendencies. So I'm curious if you've ever gone through an, I see my dad in Hank Hill stage. Um, not that much. There are elements. Uh, there are yeah. definitely elements. Um, you know, having disagreements again, I, I certainly would resonate with Bobby a lot because he would probably have been about the same age as me at the start of the show when it was coming out and when it was, when I was first watching it. Um, but you know, Hank's sort of conservative and repressed views, um, aren't, when they're on display and like, I don't want my son doing this, whether it's the modeling in Husky Bobby, um, you know, even, even actually, you know, firearm usage, 
uh, in what is it? How to shoot a gun without really trying? I think. Um, yeah, season two premiere, second episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is where my father would probably most be similar, or where I would see the most similarities in 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 more in that. You know, my my own father had a way of 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 sort of looking at the world that he wanted me to reflect as well, and that was sort of out of touch with what I wanted. The example that I mm-hmm. I, I cite in these cases is uh, as a kid, I was really good at gymnastics, and I was in a a skating program that was a feeder for figure skating, and I didn't continue in them. And I was yeah. put, then put in a lot more organized sports. Um, that alone could be a King of the Hill episode of Bobby gets into figure skating. In fact, there is an episode like that, isn't there? There's an episode. Well, there's a, well, there's Bobby gets into soccer, and even soccer was too soft for uh, yeah. for Hank. Um, and also the doggy dancing, but that was one of the interesting subversions where it turned out that Hank liked it as well uh, and became very competitive with Bobby. So that that was kind of a fun twist. But, uh, you know, so like I, I certainly see elements of that from from uh, from Hank. I definitely have no uh, my mother is nothing like Peggy Hill. I'll say that much. Uh, my mother yeah. is my mother is 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 basically Jessica Walter. Uh, uh, rip rip. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, watching Arrested Development, I was like, oh, mom. Oh, no. That's not, you know, um, Lucille Bluth and Mallory Archer is, uh, uh, is, is much more similar to my mom than, uh, than Peggy Hill ever was, I'll tell you that. Uh, so with, with my dad, um, what I, what I'm very grateful for, although, I mean, it wouldn't have affected me as much as a girl, but, um, my dad doesn't have the repressed views of masculinity as much. And my dad grew up, um, a, I guess, uh, a, Dad, if you're listening, first of all, what, are you, what the fuck are you doing listening to a podcast? Um, secondly, uh, sorry to say this, my dad grew up a bit of a redneck, like um, in the sense that he grew up, um, you know, kind of outside of town in a in a house surrounded by bush. He was the oldest of five kids. Um, he and his dad and brothers were always out hunting and fishing. Um, my dad was, I mean, he he was more typically quote unquote masculine for a Catholic male born in the late fifties. But he and, you know, he was in the army and stuff for a while. But then, you know, compared to his brothers, he was not the model of masculinity. You know, he was much more academic. He started he was he his bragging point is that because I, I grew up in the same city as my dad, um, that he started he and his friends started their high school, the first um, on campus radio station for a high school. Oh. And when I went to a different high school and was involved in that, radio, he's like, you know, the first North Bay radio high school radio station started by me. Good for you. Dad. I mean, um, <laughs> But like he became a more like white collar uh, professional as opposed to his brothers who you know truckers and uh, working in forestry. One of his brothers was a butcher, and so um, he was the subversion of masculine expectations. And so as a result, like I have a sister and a brother, he didn't like he never had a problem with the fact that my brother didn't like sports. Um, you know, my brother I think he played baseball for a couple of years, but other than that, he hated every sport he tried. And my dad never had a problem with that. Um, I, on the other hand, was a bit more of a tomboy, although also really bad at sports. Mm-hmm. My dad never had a problem with that either. Like it wasn't a thing, like if anything, both my parents had an issue with the fact or not an issue, but weren't a huge fan of the fact that I danced because they didn't like dance. So it, the one traditionally very feminine thing that I did, they were just like, oh, okay, if you, if you want. So where, where my dad, uh, reminds me a lot of Hank Hill is his unwavering faith in institutions. You know, my dad is, um, you know, 
I would say politically, like his heart is in the right place, but he has this thing of like, no, the, the government exists to protect me. And like, oh no, like I, I trust these decisions that are being made. Like he's very much um, an endearing liberal in right. that way. Like he just, he has a lot of faith in institutions and everything he says, I now like, like no one, no one in their sixties wants to be called naive by their 32 year old kid. But I, I'm always just like, oh, you sweet summer child. But so when you see Hank, just like, who thinks that his boss really cares about him? Mm-hmm. Like Buck Strickland, also another also Steve Root. Um, Wait, but Buck Buck Strickland, Steve- I always thought Buck Strickland was Toby Huss. I'm, You're probably right. I'm pretty yeah. sure he does. I'm pretty sure Stephen Root does does Buck. Ah, huh. you know he always just sounded like Toby Huss to me. So I just yeah, you're right, Stephen Root. Huh. Um, yeah, so I I thought that um, I I always thought he sounded like Toby Huss to me, but like he's such a bad dude. Oh, and, uh, Buster Quinn is he is oh he, he's well he's he's meant to be um what uh, uh, uh Dallas the bad guy from Dallas yeah. uh, Jr. Yeah, yeah. Jr. Jr. He's a really bad guy. Exactly. He's on a ridge with his mom. That was the season two premiere, The Company Man. And that, that episode, I always liked even as a kid, because I'm like, oh my god, that's dad. So, uh, yeah, and, and Hank as a parent, or, or like, and when you contrast him with Peggy, like, um, what, one of the only things that I do think got better as the show passed that halfway point was they dialed Peggy back a little bit, because Peggy did get really over the top. Like, I think, for me, the peak of Peggy being too much was Peggy's uh, Peggy's fanfare, in mm. which she was Randy Travis of stealing her song. Um, but that was when the show kind of got a little meta and points out, like, Peggy, you are extremely annoying about these things. Like, um, when, when she would say things like, the, the day after Thanksgiving is, in my opinion, the busiest shopping day of the year. It's like, no, that's, uh, that's not your opinion, Peggy. Uh, but that was, that but, was, that, that line alone is Peggy's character, I think, to yeah. a key. Um, uh, that or some mispronounced and, and, and mistranslated version of something in Spanish. Um, the unnecessary rolling of the R's in Matsaheya, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which I cannot roll R's as you can clearly hear. Um, but, and they did really bring Peggy back. Um, what, what I did like was when they had a really good Hank versus Peggy episode in which, uh, oh, coming in off the news ticker. My uh-huh. mom just got her first vaccination. Hey! Yeah, mom. Congrats. And and my dad, but uh, mom mom texted me, so there you go. Right. Yeah, very good. I was just them. I was just talking shit about my dad, and there he goes. He put he put out his arm and said, "I have faith in this institution." There you go. <laughs> uh, he's, but he's no, got that, the 5G, yeah. a great a great um, Hank versus Peggy episode in which Hank becomes the substitute shop teacher, and Peggy becomes insanely jealous that he is a more popular substitute teacher. And sabotages him for the use of tools. Um, that was a great character exploration. It really pissed me off when a few seasons later they did basically the exact same thing with the episode I Never Promised You an Organic Garden, mm-hmm. uh, in which Hank gets the group into organic gardening and Peggy decides to fuck it up because it's basically the exact same lesson learned. But um, overall, I do like Peggy's arc because, like Hank, you see how much of her overcompensation came from having a really cruel mother who made her feel terrible about herself. And she just overcompensated by becoming this borderline bullheaded person who like thinks she's special for being good at Boggle. Um, the, the nicest thing about her character is in the second to last season when Cotton Hill dies, which I love that the show killed Cotton. 
Um, that is a sad episode. It is, but like for me, the most moving part was the way like Hank couldn't give his dad a proper goodbye because his dad wouldn't let him, and Peggy storms in and just lets him have it, and uh, and then comes out and tells tells Hank he said he loved you, and like that is so like it's an emotional thing because like Peggy, a very imperfect person loves her husband so much and would do anything for her family and that's that's really taken an L. Yeah. I I will say I uh I resonate with that in terms of uh, parents saying and I mean let's face it King of the Hill is 100% a show about generations and and, and parenting and father son father Bobby's mother. such a millennial. <laughs> yes, he is. But just but but those dynamics are at play and I mean you you see it in in, you see basically the abuses of Cotton live in Hank, and then Hank is unfortunately, whether he knows it or not, trying to transfer them onto Bobby in a lot of ways. And, and one yeah. of the great aspects of the show is sometimes Hank is right about that. Uh, sometimes Hank is wrong about that. And and in one way, someone grows in something like there's always a there is always a, 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 a somewhat macabre often, but a, a, a happy ending. Uh, yeah. where where someone grows and learns and there is there is a bit of a moral there. Um, but I, I do love that Cotton Hill at times might remind me a little, might remind me of my own parents a little more in terms of like, anytime I leave the room, my parents will say to, will say to my wife, they'll be like, he's doing great. Mike's like, that, that, that was delicious food that he, he, he made us or something. And I'm like, they will never say that to my face. I can yeah. like, say something nice about me and they'll be like, well, the sky is blue. But then, yeah. but then I leave the room and they will tell anyone they're like, Oh, Mike's such a great dad. It's yeah. great seeing him spending time with you know, like so. It's so I do, I do, I, I. Uh, Cotton is a character that, that, that uh, and, and his his death, like that episode is absolutely hits me in the feels. Not just because it's a character death, and you you know you've seen them grow and live, and, and, and Cotton's case not grow necessarily, but like you can also see, you can also see. We're not always our true selves, even with the people who are we are closest with. Sometimes you actually need that distance. Um, yeah. Although actually, Cotton and Peggy do have a pretty good relationship. All yeah. things considered. Cotton ties into actually two episodes. Uh, so one thing that King of the Hill surprisingly doesn't get remembered for a lot is how good it was at season finale two-parters. Um, it it had its who shot Mister Burns, and then it had another couple season ending two-parters because. Uh, in in the case of their version of Who Shot Mr. Burns, it was Who Shot Debbie Grun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, Debbie, I mean, she wasn't, like, a character character, but she was a known entity in the show for several seasons up to that point, uh, Mr. Strickland's mistress. Mm-hmm. And her murder, uh, and just, like, the, even the plot leading up to that, of, like, Peggy buying sugar foots and uh, all that, like, they created kind of a Dallas-style soap opera Absolutely. out of it. Um, Hank getting high is one of the greatest comedy scenes ever. Or thinking he's high after like a single drag off a joint, or the side effect of the marijuana poisoning. You're pretty good, Hank. Um, yeah, it's it's. I'm not huge on that because that's also with the Megalomart, right? That's also with the. No, that that is not the same episode, but that was another scene. That's, yeah, because I I yeah. dislike like I I like uh, and maybe I don't know. Does this does this maybe segue us into sort of peaks and valleys a little bit here? Totally. Because um, like I, I I do have a hot take, uh, which is that I really don't like the Megalomart explosion two parter. I'm not, I, I like it's end of season two into season three. I think I personally 
this is me, not the fans. Most of the fans yeah. will say seasons four through six are probably the best. It's it's almost all killer, no filler episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I love season two. I think season two has some of the best episodes by yeah. far and away. Um, we've mentioned Husky Bobby like eight times. That's in there. Yeah. But uh, the Megalomart is, is, is the tail end of, 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 of two and, and then into three. And I do not like that nearly as much. I also don't like the Chuck Mangione stuff as well that much either. So I think that might be part of yeah. part of my part of my feeling there. But um, um, uh, they did do two parters, or I guess they would do running narratives that could go season by yeah. season by season. It uh, wasn't a it wasn't a serialized. I don't think you can call it a serialized show because there's no such thing really as a cartoon serialized show. But it was uh, an ep- it was still somewhat episodic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so season two is not my favorite, but it does have my favorite episode, which is Hank's Dirty Laundry. Where Hank is, yeah, I love that episode just because of the comedy of Hank watching porn for research and being so disgusted. Um, and the, the idea of like, it's just a minor credit dispute over whether or not Hank rented porn is just a genius premise to me. Um, yeah. So I... I agree with you actually about the Chuck Mangione stuff, although he did have my favorite line reading in the second part of that, which is just him going, I don't feel so good. Because he's always trying to work in that that title. Um I like that it killed Buckley. Um yes. my, yeah. The the Peggy the other two two parter episodes were Peggy falling out of the airplane, which I think is largely regarded as one of the best. And also the everyone always asks me, Oh, would you ever go skydiving? And it is purely because of that episode. I'm like the parachute can fail, you know. Um, but, you can, uh, you can and, slip in the shower. I, 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 <laughs> I don't know. I've gone, I've gone bungee jumping and I've done. I mean, like I'm. This is I don't know. This might be a little too gendered here, but I'm a guy. I've done a lot of dumb stuff, sober yeah. and drunk in my life, and and so uh, uh, you could convince me to jump out of a plane. I'm I'm a climber, and so I realize it's weird for me to like draw the line at bungee jumping, and yet I'm just like in climbing, I'm in control, and I I'm to blame if I do something stupid. That and goats can sometimes be to blame. Goats will try to sabotage climbers, but um, goats yeah, have never uh, sabotaged a bungee jump. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so another two parter that I is actually my favorite, and I think pretty much everyone would disagree with me on this is returning Japanese. I love um, oh oh thank God. Someone else. I think. I think. I actually think Returning Japanese is like the best episode, possibly. It's yeah. So for me, and I know that was season six into season seven. Mm -hmm. That is my personal peak, with the caveat that like there was some really high quality. It's the ultimate peak, but unlike a lot of other things I've discussed on this show, it completely falls off a cliff after that. Mm -hmm. And it's not even to say it's bad. It's that nothing could ever be as good as it was in kind of seasons two through six. Um, you know, they kind of, they didn't retcon a lot, but they didn't focus as much on character development. But like, I, I think Returning Japanese is such a great series of episodes because it showed that you could take what it, on any other show would be the wacky concept of the family goes to Japan. And, and even like The oh, Simpsons, Simpsons did it. Yep. The Simpsons did a wacky, we go to Japan and Homer buys a square watermelon and Godzilla and uh, Mothra fight episode. King of the Hill had it be we're discovering Hank's uh, older Japanese half-brother and talking about, like, Cotton's trauma from the war and Cotton's cowardice. And even, like you've talked about with um, with Khan and Hank and ideas of um, manhood, the you see contrast between Hank and Junichiro, the um, 
ideas of manhood and how manhood is regarded culturally for them. So I I love returning Japanese, and I'm so glad that I don't have to feel like a returning Japanese apologist. <laughs> no, I uh, so I have like I do have a very specific, uh, especially in the year 2021 episode that I think is the best, but. I would, I would think that among, I, I, I find it crazy that, 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 uh, that, that, that it's not well regarded because I have always thought that it was one of the best, if not like, if not the, the actual, because I, I, I like, uh, I think season six and especially is just full of fantastic episodes. I believe that's also with, uh, my own private rodeo with, with, uh, Dale's dad. Um, yes. um, but uh, what's so wonderful about that is you get like Hank always wanted a brother. That's yeah. and of course, I mean Hank does get a brother in in in, in other fashions in, in good Hank. But um, <laughs> Gh, what? How mean is that? That is, I would have. And when Cotton calls Hank Gh, yeah. Um, but like, there is, you know, like. It, most of the episodes are mundane. Returning Japanese has a plot of Hank teaming up with his half brother to stop his to stop their father from basically committing an international incident, or like, like he, his plan is to spit on the emperor of Japan. Yeah, it's uh... the pettiest, silliest thing, and he's being honored. Like it's it, it is it is. There's so much in that episode, and it does feel like a culmination of all of the characters. And then, to your point, yeah, there is a valley right yeah. after that that yeah. is painful to watch. The the other, um, so I, I would say that season two and season three have some of my favorite individual episodes. I want to give a big shout out to a season three episode that I don't want to say it couldn't get made today because I actually think it was incredibly poignant. But I would say that... In, you know, people have asked, like, oh, could King of the Hill ever do a reunion? First of all, I, I think it wouldn't be the same without Brittany Murphy. Um, secondly, it's not that I, I it's not that I don't think they could pull it off in today's political climate. I just think I wouldn't I would it would take a lot for me to do this. I would disable my Twitter account if um, King of the Hill came back and like or have to stay off Twitter the day after an episode dropped because I feel like I couldn't stay in the discourse on it. Um, so this is an episode that the discourse on it would probably be exhausting, but um, John V presents Return to Legretta. Which, um, written by John Beatty, who was an early Simpsons writer um, and writ- wrote some fantastic episodes of The Simpsons. He wrote what was supposed to be the series premiere of um, Bart. Uh, I can't remember the name of the episode for some reason, but when Bart goes to the gifted school. Um, and oh. they they decided, the, the show decided for some reason to make it like a practical joke on him by calling it John Beatty Presents Return to La Grunta. But it was a an episode in which Hank is sexually assaulted by a dolphin. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's weird because that sounds like an absurd concept. And yet, dolphins are one of the only other mammals that do sexually assault. And that do, because, I mean, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, we're, humans are somewhat unique in terms of their love of uh, sex for pleasure. Um, but dolphins will try to attempt to non-consensually mount, some, mount yep. another dolphin. And, but, and also <laughs> sharks, I think. Oh, God. Yeah, no, they it's, team up. They, dolphins kill sharks. They, uh, and they, 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 it's pretty brutal and, and, and it's not just brutal because they like poke them. Well, I mean, they do poke them, but you know, in a, in a bad way. Dolphins, dolphins are not good, not good creatures. Um, but the, the episode is also about not only Hank getting over the shame of it, but it's about him 
telling Luann to stand up for herself against the guys who were sexually harassing her at the resort and the way um, like Luann starts to dress down because she's ashamed of her body and she doesn't want uh, men to men to hit on her. And Hank kind of sees himself in Luann and decides to go and stand up for her. And I think it's it's actually a really beautiful episode. And that's the other thing. Like try describing that plot to someone. Oh yeah, Hank gets raped by a dolphin. <laughs> and and it sounds ridiculous. It sounds offensive. But it's such a, a show about like overcoming the shame of assault and that's crazy to say it well and it 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 could be made today they probably wouldn't have if if memory serves hank blushes when it's occurring and it that's a little jarring in a way that like i I probably would have seen that you know around 2000 2001 when it would have come out and i was definitely not like i just thought that was funny like you know, this was probably before the Twin Towers fell down. So, I mean, I thought stuff was funny that was terrible back then. Um, yeah. um, uh, 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 but, like, that was that was just the... You could have made an element, but it would have been the focus of the whole episode, I think, today. I think, I think it, it, it maybe, maybe it couldn't be, maybe, maybe it could be done today, but, but would be uh, they would change the focus on things. And, I mean, I, I think I actually think there's a few episodes um, going back to Husky Bobby. They play it off that Hank gets Bobby out of being pelted with like donuts at the at the plus size boys fashion show, and yeah. and the moral is basically don't set yourself up to be a target, which yeah. is you know of its it's not a great message now. No, it's really not, and 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 the yeah. message that we would have today would be Bobby goes out and does it. And someone throws a donut at him, and it hits him, and then everyone boos the kid that threw it. That would be the yeah. episode today. Or Hank kicks the ass of the bullies because he realizes that it's these bullies that are the problem. Oh, I, I have, I have no problem with the portrayal of Hank being a person who does hold that problematic view because that's very true to life. You know, that's probably the kind of thing again that my dad would have said that don't make yourself a target. Um, but it's you know there is a bit of a problem I think kind of alludes to that the show doesn't really offer any commentary on Hank being wrong in that situation. Uh, in fact, the end message of it is Bobby looks at him and says, oh, you were right, Dad. So, yeah, it's, it's a great episode. Probably unfortunate ending. Um, so, as we as we near our conclusion, I think I've made it pretty clear when I feel the show peaked and why, um, but that it, the post-peak performance was, and, and I would never say the post-peak performance of season six was bad. Um, there were actually some great episodes post uh, post season six. They just they're not consistently as great. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I would you know when asking people like would would I recommend you watch start to finish as one offs? I would say watch. You can watch season one through the end of season six continuously and have a really good time, or you can just pick any random episode of King of the Hill from all uh, thirteen seasons and pop it on and be delighted. Odds are, odds are you would get, odds are you would get uh, uh, a pretty good episode. I think I'm not huge on season three. Um, I'm not huge on season one either. Um, four through six, love it. Like I, I, I've uh, written some of this down as 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 notes. But in season, so like some season four highlights that I think are worth uh, uh, considering. Aisle eight a when Con yes! gets her period. That is that hits all the that hits all the notes that you want. First off, that is a classic sitcom 
you know, like that could be a 1980s sitcom. Um, you get the sexual repression of Hank oozing through. You get real life stakes. You get relatability. Uh, you know, can't can't go wrong with it. Um, uh, 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 in a similar vein, um, Peggy's magic sex feat is in season four. Okay, one of my favorite line readings in that, which is uh, Peggy telling Bobby, um, uh, your mother has been tricked by the media. And he just goes, who? Who in the media tricked you? Well, I don't know their names, Bobby. Yeah. Um, but like, that is, that is great. And th- th- that actually, um, that, that's great as well, because it's, it's, again, Hank is uncomfortable with the fantasy stuff, uh, or the, the sort of like sexualization of it all. Um, it also speaks to the internet being a weird place. The oh, yeah. internet being a, a, you know what I mean? In, in today's, like that is an episode that would work in, in, in 2021. That is Peggy accidentally creates an OnlyFans. Yes. You know, that is what that episode is. And all right, let's face it. That's an amazing episode. I like if you're doing a revival, <laughs> Peggy accidentally gets an OnlyFans is or yeah. inadvertently is is fantastic. Um, uh, uh, you know, and then uh, for season, uh, this is much more season six stuff. Uh, we've talked about my own private rodeo a lot. We've talked yeah. about returning Japanese uh, a fair amount. Um, also from season Bobby six, Bobby goes nuts. Bobby goes nuts. I, I yeah. don't know you. Like that is one of the most memeable moments of all time. Yes. Um, um uh, underrated one from that season as well, Beer and Loathing, in which Peggy gets the quality control job with Alamo Beer. Um, that is such a good episode. I just uh Kathy and Jimmy's line reading of Vomitando. <laughs> it's it's a really good kind of almost bodily episode, like very singular focused, fantastic episode. Mm-hmm. Um but for me, and this is why I actually probably feel like uh this sort of speaks to what we've talked about, could you remake this show or, or should you remake this show? Uh, and, and also the, the peak for me is, um, is the season two episode of Traffic Jam, uh, uh-huh. uh, which is, again, uh, similar to how you could make pa- uh, Peggy's Magic Sex Feet today and it would still work. Uh, Traffic Jam is one of the most resonant episodes in a 2021 perspective because you have... Uh, first off, you have Chris Rock playing a, uh, a driving school instructor who is doing stand-up comedy jokes instead of actually doing his real job. Yeah. Um, and it's great because at the time, this is like 2000, or sorry, this is like 1998 range. Yeah. And Chris Rock is one of the biggest stars in comedy at the time. Wonderful cameo appearance. You get all of the classic sort of surface level uh, King of the Hill, what makes King of the Hill good because you have conflicts between Hank and Bobby, Hank and Con, because Hank and Con end up going to the, to, to the driving school together due to uh, their, their fender bender. And then you also have Hank and, and Chris Rock's character of Budasak uh, uh, having, having their own flaws. And there's the like, you know, white trash, no ass sort of, you know, all those, those, those jokes in, in that patter of Chris Rock's is great. But what makes that episode so amazing for me is Hank gets Budasak fired. He calls he calls Buddha's manager. He calls Chris Rock's manager and is like, "Dang it, your your employee is doing terribly," you know, and like and and gets him fired, which is Karening, um, yeah. uh, the verb to Karen, um, which is is huge. Also, and this is barely obvious, I would think uh, there's racial implications there as well. Um, yeah. 
where well, you know Bobby basically starts getting white supremacist humor. Well, from, that's from so, line. and that is also why this is so topical. So, like with Matt, with with Peggy's magic sex feet, you have the internet gets gross and, and turns to sex in a heartbeat. Well, that's true today too. Yeah, and then with with uh, with Traffic Jam, you have Bobby is told by a good comedian. Okay, so you can't tell black jokes, so you have to tell something about your own your own race. Bobby spends like this is nineteen ninety eight internet. It would have he like the second page he ends up on is <laughs> is 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 Stormfront or or something equivalent. Yeah, and his and and again the the line reading of now who is a member who is lucky enough to consider themselves a member of the subnordic whatever like group and that is what we are dealing with today yeah so i mean you know as as i've said that a lot of a lot of comedies do not age well that episode watch it today and I, like i would say that should almost be the first episode you watch if you're watching yeah. if you're watching uh, king of the hill in, in 2021 because all of the things resonate, plus it hits all of the traditional sitcom beats. And this is in 22 minutes. Very yeah. few shows can deal with big rising arcs like this and, and actually having the inciting incident being the traffic jam, but then Bobby meets Buddha. They get along, encouraging Bobby to do stand-up comedy. This turns into white supremacy out of nowhere. And yet we get to a resolution where Hank and Buddha actually can get on good terms and they trade your mama jokes with each other, yeah. which was a hallmark of the time and maybe a little problematic from today's lens, but like, okay. you know, I, I personally think that is, uh, uh, like the best episode of the show, uh, in the modern context. Uh, uh, pretty, pretty cool as well that, um, you know, Hank then out of, out of guilt gets, uh, Buddha or Roger, a job at Shrek and propane. And although Chris Rock does not continue to voice him, he stays a character. Mm-hmm. He is, frequently seen as Strickland Propane. And so it was a nice way of kind of, again, the show did, the show was not afraid to um, like kind of break its canon and be like, this person's a character now. It's not like, you know, when a new character gets introduced on The Simpsons, then we never see him again, which um, if you saw recently that comic about the existential crisis of Lenny. Yes. Uh, which, yes. Can't make that joke about King of the Hill, really. No. Um, so then uh, I think as, as we have reached our conclusion, Mike, that now you're—I guess—the first person I've had on the show who doesn't have a podcast of his own. But is there any anything you wanted to plug or anything you want to kind of promote uh, for for our listeners, who I'm sure probably really enjoyed having you on with us today? Uh, oh, I, I, I'm sure they hated me. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I mean I don't really have anything to promote because I don't really do anything worth promoting. Uh, you can obviously follow me on Twitter, which is where I am very active, and and you know either. Uh, doing Simpsons shit posts or talking about Maple Leafs uh, or having very, very specific arguments about what superhero movie is is good or bad. Um, and that's, uh, you can follow me uh, at, at by Mike Stevens. Uh, Steven, like P-H. Yeah, that's the proper way of spelling it. Uh, spell Steven with me or Monsters. Uh, Steven Root, noted P-H. Yeah, exactly. See, that's why, that's why I like it. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, as for me, I have been your host, Bray Brody. You can find me on Twitter at Reganism. That's like Veganism with the P-R-E. Although you should, because I'm kind of terrible. Uh, you've got the same podcast about every two weeks, so you don't want to miss them, I don't think. Our first episode is going to not in the middle of the YouTuber Jose. We've also got episodes coming up on Slate, and Dance, and Dance from Real Good Pro. 
shows, um, Mighty Ducks, and Greg Daniels on the Unknown Indie Show, The Office. I really hope things work out for The Office. Uh, our theme song is called The Logo by Jack Dunn. You can find them on bandcamp.com slash Jack Dunn. I don't know how to spell Jack and Dunn. And our podcast art is designed by Jared Haley, a guy that I married. Uh, take it easy, and remember, if you think you hate, rolling downhill is still fun. I grow up, I'm going to drink this stuff every day, just like my dad, and fly jets and maybe even be an astronaut. I'm going to live in London and be a rich millionaire and have people killed. I'm going to sell propane and propane accessories, if my grades are good enough. Oh, kids and their crazy dreams.